Good morning. If you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? Consider that question. As I was preparing this sermon, I, w- I thought if I had 24 hours left to live and this was my last day, I would preach in a bathrobe. Not really. It goes along with the verses that we just read. Um, but think about that as we pray. Uh, we're going to be going through these verses uh, and seeing what Jesus did in his last 24 hours. <clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, we, we praise you for, for your name, that is victory, God. Teach us this morning from your word, and I uh, pray that you'll draw us near and that you will be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're going to start there in verses 1 through 5 again, John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world... And to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he came from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, Also another wonderful demonstration of monkey towel here. It's the only one that will fit around my waist, so. (laughs) He tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin. And began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Again, I asked the question, if you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? A popular question that's been asked over the years is WWJD, and what does that mean, congregation? What would Jesus do? You know, it's not a terrible question to ask, but I think an even better question to ask is WDJD. What did Jesus do? And we have it right here. In Jesus' last day before the, the feast of the Passover, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. I bet that's not on your bucket list of my last things to do on day on the earth. <laughs> Yet something that makes this even more amazing that is that Jesus, being God, knew that his hour had come. For what? To die. Everything led up to this moment, and Jesus knew that the cross awaited him. And knowing this, Jesus still chose to wash the disciples' feet. So what he is doing here must be important if it's happening on his last day. In earlier passages, Jesus was not handed over yet because his hour had not yet come. But now he's on the brink of death. And we continue to see death cases reported every single day. And the world wants you to fear death and demands that we fear it as well. But how does the author John describe death in this verse here? 
says to depart out of this world to the Father, to leave this world behind and go to the Father. How does that sound right now? <laughs> that was death for Jesus, and that is death for the believer. Death is not the end of life, but rather the beginning of the eternal one. Every single day, uh, I work at, at Delta. I don't work there every single day, but every single day I work there, we have to ask the question, what's your final destination? Alaska, Honolulu. Uh, we haven't had anyone going to Wuhan lately, but what if your answer for what's your final destination is, I'm going home. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with my father. And that is our glorious reality. Death is our passageway to eternal life with the Father. And how is this all possible? You see it in there in verse 1. Because of Jesus, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. What does it mean to be his own? How does one become his own? Are you his own? We have a verse here from the uh, same book here, John 1. 11 through 13 gives us a clear-cut answer. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When Jesus came specifically to his, his chosen people of Israel, what did they do? They rejected him. But we see then that Jesus' sacrifice, his gift of salvation was offered to all mankind. So anyone can receive the right to become his own, to become children of God. What does it mean to be his own? It means we are living in this world, but we are not of this world. Our allegiance stands with God's kingdom. When we are rejected and misunderstood by today's society, we know it's because we're adopted into his family. And as his child, he loves you to the end, to the utmost, to the cross, and through all eternity. And this is uh, going to be our point number one, our identity number one, is that we are a child of God. We are his own people. No greater love has one that someone lay down his life for his friends now, as we continue on, we see that the disciples are eating a meal with Jesus. This is during supper. Um, and we see that the devil had put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. So I just want you to keep track of, as we go through this passage, how many times Jesus mentions the traitor. So if you guys will yell out one with me. One. This is the first time when Jesus had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, we can see Jesus' presence and the enemy's presence in the same room. There was spiritual warfare going on here, yet in the midst of the battle, again, we see Jesus knowing something. This was no surprise to Jesus. He didn't even seem frightened he already was knowing this would all take place. And we see God's love and we see God's power in this context. 
He loved God and he loved his own. And he has all power, all things into his hands to stop Judas, but he doesn't. Why not? Because that's, that was God's plan. Have you ever heard that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life? Is this true? Well, according to John 3.16, God loved the whole world so much he sent his only son. If you believe in him, you not perish but have eternal life. So check box number one, God loves you very much. Does he have a wonderful plan for your life, though? I believe statement two is correct for his children. Uh, according to my favorite verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. So God has a wonderful plan for your life if everything is working out for your good and for his glory. But it would do you harm to think that his wonderful plan is the easy plan or the comfortable plan or the painless plan. You see, God's wonderful plan for his children's lives will include suffering, a lot of it. God's wonderful plan for Jesus was to go to the cross, give up his life, die a criminal's death, take on the sins of the whole world. Yet that was God's wonderful plan for Jesus and for us. Washing disciples' feet does not sound like a wonderful plan. <laughs> it's not the first thing you do when you wake up wanting to wash people's feet. But when things are hard in your life, don't think that God doesn't love you. And don't think that God has somehow forgotten about the wonderful plan for your life. It may be the very hard things and difficulties that you're going through that is his wonderful plan. Because what is his purpose for that? The verse 29, Romans 8:29, right there, gives us a great answer to transform us into the image of Christ. But Christian, hold on to your horses and prepare yourself for a life of suffering. That is God's wonderful plan for our life. To make you more like Christ, in order to be more like him, we must suffer with him. Now again, we see in that verse that he had come from God and he was going back to God, yet in one sense, he had never left him because we, we see that Jesus said, I am one with the Father. They had this union. And now he's going back to the Father and at the same time, he never really leaves us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We see Jesus' power. He's above all. Everything has been given to his hands. And what does he do with that power, authority, and supremacy? Well, I don't have a chair, but he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, tied around his waist, and he served his disciples. That, that phrase, rose from suffer, supper, is, is actually important. Just a few words, not, not only explaining what's happening, but serving, showing love, it takes initiative. You must rise up and do something. Serving will not naturally come to you if you stay seated. 
And then also the same Greek verb here for laid aside or took off the outer garment is used in John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So do you see the redemptive picture that Jesus is painting right here as he lays down his outer garments and he's in the clothes of a servant? He could have been served, but he came to serve. So just like God became a man, Jesus as the king became a servant. And there is a great thing that we need to note here that we've already seen, a radical humility, not only that he washed his followers' feet, but that in the midst was an enemy. And Jesus washed Judas's feet. That's the gospel. Every saved person was once an enemy of God, yet God still shows his love and mercy. So if you can just imagine... Jesus starting to wash the disciples' feet, dry them off. And in the midst of this, who is one of the most, uh, one of the most uh, maybe personable disciples, the one that speaks his mind? Peter. As you can imagine, the disciples were astonished about what was happening because foot washing uh, was received in that culture in that period of time as something that a servant would do, and it was one of the most humiliating tasks that they could do, so much that they would say, the servants might go and say, have a slave do this. Never, ever would a superior perform this task. And in the process of washing the disciples' feet, a dialogue breaks out between Jesus and Peter. In his normal fashion, Peter spoke out his mind, and he said, Lord, do you wash my Feet, with emphasis on the you and my, the, the difference between them two. Peter thinks, Jesus, you're breaking the rules. This is not politically correct. Peter is astonished, and instead of accepting the grace of God, he rejects it. He's being disobedient and self-righteous. You don't need to do this. I don't need to have this done by you. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing for you, you don't understand now. But afterward, you will understand. So Jesus, again, emphasis on the I and you, the difference. And have you ever been told this before? You you don't understand now. One day you will. I know I've been told that many times by my dad. You just don't understand this now. When I'll tell you when you're older. And I, I keep asking him when I'm older now, am I ready yet? Am I ready yet? And he's, he says, no, not yet. I'm like, okay. I still have hope that he will tell me what those things are. But Jesus does the same thing for the disciples. He says, you will understand afterwards. And later in this, in this context, uh, we'll see that Jesus does explain his actions uh, to a point But it's really not until the cross and even beyond that when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples that they truly understand what happened here. So this is a side note. If you don't understand what God is doing in your life, what he's trying to teach you, later on there will come a point where you'll be able to look back and say, oh, 
That's why I went through that. Now I understand. And here too, the foot washing had a deeper significance in the act itself. God does things we don't understand. And Peter needed to hear Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So Peter, now aggressive, you shall never wash my feet. In the Greek, it's a double negative. He's saying, never, ever, ever, ever in all of eternity will you wash my feet. If humble service was the only application here, Jesus may have told Peter, don't ruin my illustration, just go with it, Peter. I'm trying to teach you how to be humble. But there was more to it than that. Peter had a, um, a big open mouth, insert unwashed foot moment. And Jesus answers him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I have no share with you? What do you mean? There was a reality that Peter's feet needed to be washed. And to better understand this passage, something helpful maybe to remember who the author of this book is, John the Beloved. Jesus said, you won't understand this now, but we can see very, very clearly that John did understand the feet washing later. We can see in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, what does this all mean? Verse 5 This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Say verse 9 with me. It's very, very uh, one that we know very well. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Jesus said, you have no share with me. What does that mean? He's not saying that you're not saved. He's saying, you have no fellowship with me. You'll be walking in darkness. You need daily cleansing. Peter thought foot washing was just a a mere custom in Israel, but Jesus is using it to teach us about sanctification. If I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no fellowship with me. I need to wash your feet. And that is the reality of Christian life today. Although we are completely clean, we need daily cleansing. So Peter is starting to to capture a little bit of what Jesus is saying, but again, he's he's confused. He's not knowing what to say. He has passion. In verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Okay, Lord, I get it. Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. One minute before, he says, You'll never wash me in all of eternity. A minute later, he's he's saying, okay, serve me more. I need more than just my feet. Give me the full spa treatment. So at least he's beginning to hear that it's needed, yet he's still trying to do this on his own terms. 
as if what Jesus said or did was not enough. Another side note, do you ever do that with God? You ask him for an answer. He gives you the answer from his word, yet it's not enough for you. You say, yeah, God, I understand, but but there's got to be more than that. No, take God at his word. Actually listen to what he's saying, and listen carefully to this verse 10. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Now, I want to uh, give you guys the joy of learning Greek today. We got a couple Greek words to learn. So the, the one who has been bathed, if you repeat after me, ha, ha, lelumenos, ha, lelumenos. Beautiful, you guys are wonderful. That Greek word means the one who has been bathed, and it refers to a whole body cleansing. This bathing can only be in reference to what Jesus was about to accomplish on the cross through his sacrificial death. Yet, Jesus hadn't died yet. So how, how can he say to the disciples, you're already clean, if he hasn't died yet? We see that even though he hadn't died yet, it was so sure his hour had come that he was going to do this, that his sacrifice was already applied to Peter and his own. This is amazing truth, and it helps us to understand in the same way that, that they were considered clean even before the death of Christ, so we too are considered glorified even before we arrive to heaven. God's plan is so sure that he refu- refers to a future event as something that has already happened. And so God already sees you as completely clean, already there with him, but right now we're living in this life, and that's the sanctification. This is the Jesus washing your feet. This is what Christ accomplished on the cross. He received our sin. We received his righteousness. He not only paid our spiritual debts and forgave our sins, but he filled our spiritual bank accounts according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I can't say that I'm not happy about the stimulus check, but this is so much greater news than the stimulus check we are receiving and should excite us more than all the money in the world. The government can never do for you what Jesus has done for you. Remember this, that despite whoever is in charge or whoever is the president of the United States for the next four years or for the next 50 years, Jesus is king and we depend on him. Can I get a Jesus government amen? Follow Josh's (laughs) pattern. Next Greek word that we have here, is to wash, and this is a fun one to say. Um, repeat after me, nip, sas, thigh. One more time, nip, sas, thigh. 
Man, you guys are Greek scholars. I'm loving this. This one, to wash, you can see bathing and washing, and even in English, it's something that we sort of use interchangeably, but this one refers to washing a specific part of the body. So even the language that Jesus is using, he's saying there's a distinction here. And this verse ties back to our identity in Christ, which, which was identity number one, that we are a child of God, completely clean, yet in need of cleansing. We are his own. And we see the distinction between justification and sanctification. Right over here, we're declared righteous, we're declared clean. And now Jesus is saying, so Peter, don't tell me to, to wash your hands and your head. You are clean. Just let me wash your feet. You are born of God. You are saved. You have eternal life. When one, a person believes, they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. So in other words, sin doesn't take away our salvation. Yet Jesus still needs to deal with the sin in our lives. So if we have the mindset that I don't need daily cleansing, then either you don't belong to him or you're not walking in fellowship with him. And that leads us to our mention of the traitor. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And that is actually the third mention of Jesus, three, third mention of Jesus saying, not all of you are clean, but he has a lesson here he wants to teach you uh, before we get to that traitor. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. So identity number two, first of all, we're children of God. Second of all, we are servants of God. He's giving us the example himself, and he's saying, now you go and do the same. If I, your superior, wash your feet, you also ought to wash the feet of another person. And with this argument, there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The gospel transforms us from sinners of God into children of God, into servants of God, and the goal of a servant is to become like their master. Serving needs to become a priority in our life, not just a pastime, but a way of life. The ministry and service itself is not always filled with adventure. It's rarely glamorous. Am I wrong there, Pastor Andy? Is it always glamorous, the ministry? Jesus washed feet. So whether you're preaching the service or doing nursery duty, serve the Lord. Whether you're singing 
the lead or running the sound equipment, serve the Lord. And I'm thankful for the whole music team here, but without the sound equipment, <laughs> sound team, uh, I would be lost when I'm up here. So you guys are amazing. And we don't only serve the Lord in the church. This goes to your job. This goes to at home, day-to-day life. What's your least favorite chore to do? For me, it's actually washing the dishes. <laughs> I will do everything else in the house, but washing the dishes, not my favorite thing to do. So when I'm doing it, that is, that's showing service. But... He has given you an example, a, modern, a model, and a pattern. This is how you should live your life. So for those that desire to be great, what should we do? Serve. Pride kept the disciples from serving one another. If you remember, they, they were arguing at one time on the way, who's the greatest? Showing off their muscles, showing off their guns like, like Rob. <laughs> Who has the greatest gun? Who has the greatest guns? Who is the greatest? Who's the mightiest? And Jesus says, the one who serves. The only kind of leadership that Jesus taught was servant leadership. He lived it out. And our identity number three that we see in this verse is that we are also a messenger of God. Another purpose of foot washing was for preparation of a specific task, experience, or relationship. So we see that Jesus starts mentioning not only a servant with a master, but also a messenger with the one who sends us. Washing their feet was a part of God's preparation for his specific task, experience, and relationship that the disciples would soon begin. This makes sense when Jesus tells the disciple to wash the feet of one another, for only Jesus can bathe a disciple washed in the blood, but disciples can wash, prepare one another for service, for God's mission, and disciples can also serve one another in love, which, which does have a sanctifying effect in our lives. And I like to think of this as... Um, Show and tell. I don't know if in schools they still do show and tell or maybe at home school there's show and tell even though you already know what you have. But it was one of the most exciting days of kindergarten to say show and tell, bring your favorite thing. And the little kid's so proud. I don't remember what I brought, but I did do it. But we'll just say Pokemon cards. Oh, that's so, look at the shiny holographic ones. You show it. And then you get the chance to talk about it, why it's special to you. And that's what these two identities basically are. It's show and tell that servant of God, we are showing that we are a child of God. And a messenger of God, we are telling them how he has changed our lives and how he can change their lives. So play show and tell this week and this year. We need more of that. Verse 17, why? Why should we do this? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
Jesus doesn't just leave them with another parent phrase, which I'm looking forward to doing this. Um, Dad, why do I have to do this? I can't wait to tell my kids, because I'm your dad. And that's it. Punto se acabo. I'm going to be yelling at my kids in two languages. That'll be fun. It's finished. Jesus doesn't leave them at that. We should obey him just because he tells us to do it. But Jesus also says there's a motivation here, an, an extra bonus, that you will be blessed in your serving. Um, do you want to be joyful, satisfied, fulfilled? Of course. Serve. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And to be blessed isn't, isn't to receive some war- reward so you can hold it up and say, Look at my most humble servant of the year trophy. No. You get blessed in the doing of the service of the service because you're living in harmony with God's truth. And also Jesus said, "Blessed are you if you do them, not only if you know them." For if you know these things, we we walk out of the service, we know we need to serve, but we don't do it, then that is actually sin, knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. Knowledge alone of what is right holds no value unless it changes what you do and how you live. So blessed are you if you do them. Verse 18, again, this is the fourth time, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. So we have the fourth time. So Jesus is not ignoring the traitor in the room. Was it because Judas's feet smelled bad? Well, the passage doesn't say if Judas used Old Spice or not. But... Just imagine, more than three years, Judas was in close contact and one of the followers in the public ministry of the Savior himself. He claimed to be a follower of Jesus and did such a good job of blending in that when Jesus mentioned there would be a a traitor among them, the disciples weren't whispering, it's got to be Judas. We know it's Judas. What were they asking Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And this is a good question that everyone that claims to be a follower of Christ or or a faithful churchgoer needs to be asking ourselves. Is it I, Lord? Am I the one that's unclean? Am I the one that comes here, but I don't really understand what it means to have a personal relationship with you? Step out in faith. Don't wait until it's too late. Talk to a pastor, a fellow believer, and become a child of God. Turn to Jesus. I'm going to have uh, Brandon come up here as uh, we prepare the last song here. But our conclusion is that we can see another lesson is that Jesus was walking with his own enemy. As children of God, servants of God, and messengers of God, we ought to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. But in this crazy and wicked world that we live in, we see a lot of evil things going on. And what do we do or what do we want to do? We go searching for the burning coals to lay on their heads. Whether it's our Facebook posts or our gossip or our, our, our back, bad talking about people. Don't start with the burning coals. Overcome evil with good. That's what we need in this world. In the last two verses, I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus is basically saying, this is about to happen. I'm telling you so you believe that I am. And in the Greek, it leaves off the he. That's just for our understanding in English. But he's saying, I am the great I am. I am God. I'm telling you these things ahead of time so you know that I am God. And as God sent Jesus, so Jesus is sending us. We are messengers of God. His foot washing was a preparation for the mission he's sending us on. I like to call it sent on a love mission with the life message. So what kind of messengers does he want us to be? Servant-hearted, cleansed children of God. Serve because you are his child. Serve because you have been washed. Served because you will be blessed in so doing. And serve because you are his sent messenger. If you had 24 hours left to live, what would you do? And live like that every day. Dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Please work in our hearts, God. Make us more like Christ. And uh, we just praise you for humbling yourself and being our our example and, and our Savior, Lord. Bless us this morning as we continue to strive to live for you in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.